You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. Welcome to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. This is Sarah. This is Chris. And Deacon Basil. Today, we are talking about anxiety. Yes. I, there was some talk about being anxious about starting to talk on anxiety because it's actually pretty darn complicated. Yeah, uh, it's pretty meta. And, <laughs> and it's kind of amazing that we haven't had this episode yet. <laughs> right. Because we, we've talked about depression. We have, uh-huh. a de- we have a depression episode. And we talked a little bit about anxiety in the mindfulness episode. But, like, truly, anxiety is the common cold of mental disorders, even over and above depression. Absolutely. I think in the past we used to talk about, um, yeah, I I think depression was particularly profound. um, But I think now anxiety, due to a number of different factors, I'm sure we'll talk about this over the next, uh, you know, few minutes. But I think anxiety is sort of the scourge of our age in a particular way that has become more poignant in the last probably 18 years. Oh, I'd say within the last 30 years, it's increased dramatically. Uh, Absolutely. I wonder if any of our listeners are or know someone in like the Gen Z age group. Yeah. That doesn't struggle with anxiety. That generation. Oh, oh my goodness. I just remember reading something about that, like, like literally last week about a new study that came out about anxiety being the the issue you know statistically yes. speaking yeah. do you remember that so gallup gallup gallup's gallup poll of yeah sociologists have written on this yeah it's a thing i heard that kids today have the same amount of anxiety as psychiatric patients in psychiatric wards in the 1950s yeah that's so either there's some either the anxiety is through the roof or our psychometrics aren't working or both. <laughs> or both, which probably both. Um, you know, yeah. I think the thing about anxiety is that there's there's a number of different kinds. So you know, as psychotherapists, we always turn to the we don't always, but we very often turn to the Diagnostic <laughs> and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and we're on vol- uh, version five. Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, the big the big purple book, um, and what it mm. what it does is it lists all of the different diagnostic criteria. So very often people will talk about depression, but there's actually different kinds of depression. There's major depressive disorder. There's uh, bipolar. You know, there's all of these different kinds disorder. of bereavement disorder. There's all of those different kinds of d- depressions. It's the same thing with anxiety. You know? Wait, 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 wait. There's more than one type of anxiety. What if I have all the anxieties? What if I have this anxiety? It sounds like you're being a little anxious about all of, about making sure you have all the anxiety. But, you know, I mean, there's <laughs> there's that anxiety, that social anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. which would be an example of, you know. Which is different than being introverted. It is, yeah. Actually, one of the one of the uh, the criteria is uh, the 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 exclusions uh, for social anxiety is uh, temperamental, um, which would be um, which would be introversion. But there is social anxiety. Yes, I think that's people totally do have struggles with it, social anxiety. There's things like phobias mm-hmm. um, that you know are can be specific or, or kind of a little bit more generalized. There's agoraphobia, which is a kind of classic example of a phobia, which is the fear of going outside. Um, and so you stay in the house or you stay in different places that are familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of different kinds of anxiety. In the past, even um, obsessive compulsive disorder was classified under the anxiety disorders. Now I think they're both housed under a larger category of like stress-related compuls- compulsive disorders. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Yeah. Um, another one that people don't often think of is even something like um, like some compulsive uh, disorders, like trichotillomania, compulsive, you know, hair plucking is yep. an anxiety disorder. Yep. So all all different kinds. And I think every anxiety is as varied as the person and as as the uh, situation that people might be in. You know, so mm-hmm. there's there's always those kind of classic examples of, of, of in television of that really obscure phobia that someone might have. But you know, the reality is, is anybody can be anxious about anything. And everything. And everything. Well, and let's uh, dig into that in particular because the the way I conceptualize anxiety, um, and this comes partly from Aaron Beck, partly from Aristotle. <laughs> Wait, is that, Aristotle? Really? Yeah. You? Re- really? Yeah. Well, and also, believe it or not, there's some um, gems in, in De Anima uh, about <laughs> the emotions and how they work and anxiety in particular. So anyway, anxiety. So look, 
so fear and anxiety are different. Right. And the way I have always thought about this and explain this to my clients, so if I'm wrong, you better tell me now, is that fear has an obvious target. Correct. I'm afraid of this. the tiger. I'm afraid of, you know, impending impending doom uh, in the form of a nuclear war, whatever. Let's say that that's a reasonable fear because... Fear I, is reasonable. I, I that's, think that I think is reasonable, but that's besides yeah. the point. All right. Okay. Uh, so but, anxiety, anxiety sometimes lacks a defined target. It's 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 like not even clear what you're anxious about, or the um, the worry is like completely disproportionate to the threat. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of why cognitive the cognitive therapies like Beck and Ellis's cognitive therapies were initially so. They're, the first thing they were used to treat were anxiety disorders because a lot of times the anxiety was just um, followed from irrational cognitions, right? Like it wasn't the person had this lack of clarity about what their anxiety was about and um, a completely disproportionate sense of um, the threat. So just for clarification with that then, so a phobia, for example, the fear of snakes, mm-hmm. Um if that's uh, a, a phobia, is it? Well, I said the fear of snakes. I mean, is it? Is a phobia anxiety, or is it fear then it's in your anxi- mind? It's anxiety, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I, um, if if you are in the jungle and you see a poisonous snake, you the natural response would be fear. Yes, you're activated. Your fight or flight systems activate. Your stress response systems activated. But if you have a general fear of snakes and you would expect to see snakes in places where you probably won't see snakes and that phobia is preventing you from leaving your house because you might see a snake on the corner of Wadsworth and Colfax, then that's anxiety. Right. It's, it's disproportionate and there's no clear target. Right. So it's, it's a general fear of snakes versus the snake. So if it's the snake, it's fear. If it's a general fear of snakes, it's anxiety. Mm-hmm. And to complicate matters, um, a very reasonable experience, a uh, fearful experience, can turn into a general anxiety about something. Right, absolutely. If you if you mm-hmm. got bit yeah. by a snake, yeah. then you might have a phobia about snakes. Sure, sure. And, and maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. So if there's all of these different kinds of uh, flavors of anxiety, the one that I think we... Well, at least I see uh, most common with with people those either the phobic stuff or it's a generalized anxiety disorder. Um, is that kind of true for your experience? As well, uh, yeah, I and I also see um, I see uh, things that look like anxiety disorders but aren't technically like um, um, like PTSD and um, in, in particular in children. Like, we don't have this yet in the DSM, but we should. But, like, the kind of developmental trauma that, like, a child might have if they're exposed to a lot of stress in the home and, like, family violence and stuff. It looks a lot like an anxiety disorder because they might have, like, avoided behaviors and things like that. But it's, you know, a little different. So. Yeah, so they're, they're anxious about going home, for example, because that's where the abuse took place. Yeah, or just, like, generally have, a, have an anxiety about relationships. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, when I work with, I'd say, people in, like, the age 11 to 21 kind of bracket. Oh my goodness. I, I just, I think they all have some anxiety. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's probably true. Actually. Really, I like, mean, it's just so striking. A, a friend of mine, um, he's a therapist. He said uh, a while back to me that, uh, therapy used to be for acute cases. Mm. Now it's for everyone because the world is an acute case. Yeah. Ooh, and I thought that was really profound. pretty darn. To the point, you know, kind of normalizes it too. Yeah, it so totally yeah. does. Yeah. Our listeners, go ahead and don't, you know, don't be shy to seek out uh, counseling and psychotherapy because uh, the world you live in is an acute case. Yeah, I, I had another Catholic counselor say that mostly what she does is say, "No, you're not crazy. The world really is crazy." Yes, you know, and I think that's you know, that's important. It's important to have a therapist that you can kind of do that because anxiety is is particularly um, painful. Right. about the way in which it can kind of control all of your thoughts on things. Yeah, that's right. Um, but when what I would say is that the generalized anxiety disorder, or what we call GAD, yeah. um, G-A-D, generalized anxiety disorder, um, well, I, I see that very often sure. um, myself. And and, mm-hmm. just, and, you, and you probably deal also in kind of the spiritual direction side of things with yeah. um, having to make a differential diagnosis of is this 
GAD? Is this OCD? Or is this scrupulosity? Right. Right. Because a lot of Catholic, I mean, this is almost like a stereotype, right? Like a lot of Catholic Catholics guilt? are anxious, um, anxious about their sins and their and going to confession and their habitual And they still problems. feel guilty about it. And yeah. And, and should I receive the Eucharist? Uh, should I not? Or, Am I in a state of grace? Right. And it's Lent right now. Yeah. And, uh, and where I see that in particular is... How often do you, um, you know, when you're fasting, it's oh. the, um, is it two meals, one meal a day? I can't remember the Roman requirements. One meal, a, one regular one large, sized. One regular sized meal and then two smaller meals. Meals that, that when the square root of the 15th power is brought about, it's not equal, equal to, to the. Like, yeah, I can't remember. And, and, and I, I mean, I. Your BMI in half plus seven. Right, right. It can be very complicated. I think. What often happens is that people are, are looking for those kind of clear answers. Um, and I think that's that's a mixture of both anxiety and scrupulosity at the same time. And mm. sometimes I've played around with the idea of if scrupulosity is different than obsessive compulsive disorder um, or anxiety hmm. itself. If it's different, then it's a spiritual component more than it is psych- psychological. If it's a psychological component that has a spiritual component to it. That's an interesting question. Right. Because the anxiety or the obsessions and compulsions are in relation to the spiritual, the spiritual life. Right. But particularly, it's, like, it's one thing when you have a fear of death as the anxiety. It's another thing when you have a fear of eternal damnation. And that's where the anxiety, I think, becomes a... Yeah, and that's really not just for Catholics, too. I mean, salvation anxiety, we've talked about this in the past, is a phenomenon in, in a lot of... Um, uh, some Protestant circles. Protestants, um, even even um, how, other religions. Am I saved? How do I know? Can I have that certainty? Ah, you know, I gave my life to Jesus, but I don't feel a change. You right. know, I'm always second guessing myself. I mean, that those anxieties are are all over. You know, kind of the the spiritual life of many you know Western believers and. And it's it's and, and Eastern too. And by the way. Eastern yes. too. Yeah. But I mean, I guess what I mean to highlight huh. with that is just that. Um, uh, it's it's it, it can be crippling and actually detrimental to um, progress in the spiritual life. Yeah, like those if you're always second guessing. Salvation anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It keeps you from doing the good that you could otherwise do. And I think that's true. And I think um, that scrupulosity and 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 you have to be very careful, especially when you talk about this, because you know very often it's the fear of of sin. Um, which can be a good thing, but it's taken to a point where you can't do anything. You're completely paralyzed by scrupulosity to an because unhealthy... Because every action could be a sin. Exactly. Calm down. And that's actually coincidentally considered also a sin. And you get into this, this like this reciprocating <gasps> struggle here where it's like, I'm sin- sinning because I'm scrupulous, but I'm also, you know, it's... No, it, I get it. Yeah. What's interesting about this is it sounds an awful lot like... Um, the uh, when when people tell me well when uh, a friend of mine told me that they were afraid of flying, and it was not that they were afraid of getting on the plane; it was afraid that they were going to have a panic a panic attack on the next flight. It's like a meta. It's a meta, yeah. It's a issue. Fear of I think fear. it's very often, yeah, yeah the Ooh. case. And I think you know it's the same thing. So there there are these cycles of anxiety that we can get into. Oh my goodness! Um, and can be really problematic. You know what? You just need some lavender oil and a nice bubble bath. Well, that can help in we certain have a whole cases. But, yeah, <laughs> but not, so not. So let's hear the. So why don't you read the criteria right. while I get a, a drink of water? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the diagnostic criteria. Okay, now I think it's really important to say with diagnosing in mental health uh, situations. Uh, what? Okay. I, I, All right. I, I, I didn't know if we wanted. Uh, I, I went to the liquor store. I don't know if you guys wanted oh. to partake. Oh. Have something in my car. Well, oh, well okay. Right. I guess. Oh. We can do that. And it's gluten free, so carry on. All right. <laughs> um, so. The important thing about diagnostic criteria of any kind of mental uh, health issue or any kind of mental uh, health pathology is that it's not going to be a 100% you hit every single criteria here. If you look through here, there are going to be mm-hmm. things that are necessary, but it's going to be like uh, only one item is required for, you know, with, with children of, of these six. Right. It could You could have... Five of them, or you might have one of them, but it's only required for children, for example. So when we talk about this, we can't, we're not telling you that you have, we're not diagnosing you. We're not seeing you clinically. Um, and you can't take this as a diagnosis and say, well, you know, these are these are the diagnostic criteria that please, I fit that. Please don't try to, to diagnose. Please don't, don't, diagnose. don't diagnose yourself at home. I can't diagnose myself, you know. Yeah. We're not allowed to. And it, it's not right because that's what therapy is all about. So number one is an excessive anxiety and worry 
um, about occurring more days than not for at least six months. So if about, you're... About a number of events or activities, such as work or school uh, performance. So what's important about this is mm. this is not a quick thing. This is the same thing with depression, right? It's not a quick process. It takes six months before it becomes an issue. And so I think what it really is saying here is that it takes at least six months before you can get a uh, generalized anxiety. You can be diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder. And this is important because this is not just the ups and downs of everyday life. Right. right? It's this consistent. This is a consistent for over for a half a year at least. And that's important because a student coming back, you know, which is concerned about his final exams, for example, mm -hmm. it's not a generalized anxiety disorder. It's mm. when it becomes six months of stress over a semester, you know, a semester and a half, basically. Yeah. Um, fear about about school. That's where it becomes a, an issue. And I think this is this is really important because I, I I talk with my clients about this a lot. On a scale of zero to a hundred, how often is your anxiety? You know, like how often do you have anxiety? And people usually say, you know, like eighty eight. You know, I'm like eighty eight. That sounds weird, but eighty. You know, eighty. Um, they have an eighty of anxiety. It's like. If you had a zero of anxiety, you would be dead. Correct. You have to have some anxiety. You know, because that's life just... requires momentum. Right. Yeah, and uh, oh my goodness, we talk about this in my work a lot. You know, uh, learning, learning doesn't happen most effectively when you're completely relaxed. Learning happens when you're like a little bit activated. Mm -hmm. right. You know what I mean? Because you're being exposed to novelty. It's like you know, fight or flight is a spectrum. And when you're completely at rest, that's not when you're most primed for new information. So, it's yeah. freeze. It's when you're you're frozen. Yeah, well, yeah. or it's just you know you're 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 not able to kind of engage actively, and anxiety kind yeah. of activates us, right? I, I remember when people will like find that perfect reading place, you know, mm -hmm. like on the couch, and mm -hmm. they have like the, Dude, the, supported the perfect, just enough, just enough, and uh, you know, perfect blanket or whatever, and they and they're drinking tea or whatever, mm -hmm. they're gonna fall asleep. <laughs> you know, I think that's just one of the big struggles with it. So I think that's you know, it, it, you're right. It's it's, it's healthy it, to have it's healthy to have anxiety, stress, and and anxiety at low levels that are kind of predictable and not too frequent is healthy. Right. So what this might look like is if you're reading a textbook that's really boring and dry, maybe try listening to video game soundtracks because those are <sighs> designed to keep your brain engaged during <laughs> slow sessions during think, the video game. I think the research on background music while studying is pretty mixed, actually. I remember looking at that a while ago. Well, that's ago. why, that's why um, nonverbal music is good, mm, or right. music that's not in your native language, or yep. language that you speak. Yeah, okay. That's I fair. can't listen to music with lyrics, mm -hmm. because I'll just start listening to the music, because it's more interesting than my boring textbooks. Right. Yeah, we don't actually, we're not actually able to do um, divided attention. We, right. we can just alternate quickly. Mm -hmm. so yeah, you can't, you can't multitask. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, you can, you from can, a neuro perspective, from you a neuro, can't you, multi. You can move quickly. Yeah. But you can't multitask. It's not possible. So I think the important thing, kind of getting back to this criteria A or criteria one, is that it has to be an extended period of time. Right. Yep. We're not talking about a short a short time. Now, coincidentally, there are other diagnoses um, in the book about sort of those short more momentary short-term. Uh, adjustment disorder adjustment, anxiety. Adjustment disorder is the one that I was thinking of. And that's, you know, kind of the... the, the <laughs> It's what everybody throws out. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, you usually, our, our, we have a conversation with our clients. Like, you know, there are cases where, where you know, they want uh, insurance reimbursement, and we have this conversation. Like, well, you need some diagnosis, right? And so it's like, well, I say that because it's not necessarily, it's not as stigmatizing as people might think it is. It doesn't follow you for the rest of your life, you know. Right, because it's a temporary kind of thing. It's not right. a six-month kind of period that you've had to be suffering well, and, with. No matter what your diagnosis is, I mean, the, the kind of the, the thing here is that it's going to help you with services. It's not going to, you know, prevent you from, you know, you're going to get a, like a red letter on your forehead for the rest of your life or right. something, you know. And I think that's that's the other really key thing, just on a complete side. This has nothing to do with anxiety, but it has everything to do with 
why is the DSM got so many diagnoses in there? I used to joke that I could find everybody in the DSM and then I'd yeah, have every yeah. every diagnosis. And I'm like, yeah. actually, maybe not. maybe not. But I think the point is, is that you can find everybody in it. So because it's a tool for seeking reimbursement from from uh, from from insurance for services, right? And that's why it's as as many differentiations and as many kind of di- uh, disorders as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That's A. B is the individual finds it difficult to control the worry. Mm. Um, spiraling. Yeah, it's that spiraling. You know, it's the process of saying, I am like a like an anxiety attack, you know, where it's like I can't I can't even get out of bed. That's not quite in this sense, but you know, I That's can't even depression, get yeah. out of bed because I'm so anxious about everything. Which is it's like when you wake up worried, it's like Oh my gosh, I have to do this today, and then if I don't get that done, then this will happen, and if da 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 and da 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 and soon enough, your brain's just like going a thousand miles a minute, and you haven't even gotten out of bed. Yeah, I think of a lot of people who... it's just stressful. Right, and who like call off events and opportunities and engagements because of anxiety, right? That would be an example of it being kind of clinically significant, is like you are... You're inhibiting yourself in your life. You're not going out with people. You're you're not. I just um, I can't go to that party because what if I make a fool of myself and everyone laughs at me yeah, and they hate me? Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. or anything else. I mean, right. issues with work, with issues work. with uh, school, family, family yeah. um, issues. Public with speaking. Public speaking. Public yeah. speaking is a huge one. People, it's like the number one fear in America. Yeah, I've heard that. I don't relate to that at all. But yeah. I, I guess I can see that some people would. By the way, mm-hmm. if you ever want to learn how to do public speaking, just do it until you don't worry about it. <laughs> Which incidentally is, is an the, evidence-based yeah, treatment for exactly. certain types of phobias. It's called exposure therapy. Yeah. Right. Pre, um, public speaking used to worry me, and then I preached all the time. Yep. It's like, Done. I mean, we still laugh at you, but it's I fine. Know, I know, but, you know, I laugh at myself sometimes, and sometimes I go, what are you talking about? That's the resiliency factor. You can laugh at yourself. I think so. Okay, so so it's important. C is the anxiety and worry are associated with three or more of the following six symptoms, with at least some symptoms having been present for more days than not for the past six months. Okay. Note, only one item is required for children. Talked about that already, but number one would be relentless, uh, relentlessness or feelings. Uh, keyed restlessness. Up. Yes, restlessness could be relentless restlessness, <laughs> uh, but re- restlessness or feelings keyed up or on a uh, on edge. Okay, so it's that feeling of kind of always being on edge, always being too much coffee. The too much coffee feeling. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. You know, where you're yeah. just kind of there. And, just buzzing. And, and incidentally, caffeine can exacerbate anxiety for people. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it so hypes up your adrenal system. Try cutting it out as an experiment if you have some anxiety. Or, or, re- switch, or reducing it as much as you can. Switch mm-hmm. to green tea. <laughs> Which has a lot of anxiety and could be, uh, could be difficult as well. It has a lot well, of but... caffeine, you mean? No, it has less caffeine than coffee. Does it? Yes. Really? I work in a cafe. Sorry. Science. Oh. So then you, you also know the common myth that um, coffee dehydrates you? Did you know that actually it doesn't? Because it's water. It's water. It's right. magic bean juice. Okay. So, uh, just, being easily coffee. fatigued. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Difficulty concentrating or mind uh, going blank. Mm-hmm. Irritability. Muscle tension. And a sleep disturbance. Difficulty falling or staying asleep. Or restlessness. Unsatisfied sleep. So, also known as college. Also known. Well, I mean, there are very, very, very high rates of anxiety in college, college, and, and, all, and high school, um, and high school, and even I had a kid today in session tell me, "Oh, they push you so hard in fourth grade." Oh, mm, I know. So yeah, at yeah. school generally, yeah. And I think that's I think that's particularly interesting because with all of these, it's a change from the baseline. For an extended period of time, hmm. if you're generally anxious about about, or if you generally have a, a fatigue and generally have sleep disturbances, then that's not going to be a characteristic of of anxiety if you've had this all your life. Right, and probably and more than likely could be a biomedical thing. Mm-hmm. You want to get checked out. We talked about the depression episode about a hypothyroidism mm-hmm. being a, something you'd want to figure out. Hypo or hyper. Hyper um, as yeah. well, yeah. So, so these are all, you know, all six of these are are, are general changes um, from from what you might have had before the six months period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 
D is the anxiety, worry, or physical symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. So what does that mean, Sarah? It means I can't do anything because I'm freaking out about it. Right, exactly. And it means that there's actually issues happening. It's not just right. that you are having general anxiety, but it's not affecting you in any way. It's preventing uh, or, you or, from... Or anxiety can be... Stress can be a, a motivating factor. Right. This issue has to be a, a causing problems in your general functioning. Right. So it's... You're so anxious. Like, your anxiety can either help you do really well and make sure that your work presentation is accurate and effective and clear mm -hmm. and help you get it done quickly mm -hmm. or it can freeze you so you can't work on it at all because you're just staring at your computer screen blank and no information is coming to your mind and it's you know you're presenting in the morning mm -hmm. yes yeah. I, I always love your like the pictures you paint for us of these <laughs> disorders and what they look like because we, we just talk like dry criteria and you're like you're sitting at your computer at 3 a.m <laughs> no it's good um yeah and, and like going back to our theories of health it's mm -hmm. like for me it imp if it impedes your flourishing your ability to live a good life right that's right. kind of what that criteria is driving at right is like um it's 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 an impediment to what you're ordered to as a human being, which is human flourishing, having successful relationships and meaningful work. Right. And anxiety, especially in that case, um, will prevent you from social engagements, from mm -hmm. occupational engagements. Yeah. Because you're so focused and so I really like the word keyed up mm. in there. Um, you're so keyed up that everything is focused and buzzing on you. Yeah. You know, th that's something I have noticed. And like, I want to say it delicately because um, it can be misconstrued. And even when I've talked about this with clients, like it's, it's, you know, something we have to navigate very carefully, but there is a real sense in which some of these disorders, um, like anxiety in particular, trap you, they trap you in your, inside of yourself. Yeah. In a bad way. Like, mm -hmm. self-knowledge is a good thing. Yeah, but it's like you but, become a prisoner of the self. Right. And you don't... Uh, and, 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 and I would venture to say that people that are the healthiest and the happiest are the ones who live outside of themselves. Like, I'm making these gestures right now of, like, openness, right? Like, um, like a receptivity to the world and an engagement with the other. You and don't the, feel trapped within yourself. Right, and a concern for, you know, the common good. But you know this obsession with yourself like um you know there, there there's a there's a, a chapter in um american novelist david foster wallace's last book where there's a character that like sweats too much he's like oh the people know i'm sweating too much you know they're looking at me like you just the the whole thing is like me centric right the yes. person who's worried is worried about themselves and how they appear it's narcissus but, right, but exactly. But that's why we have to be delicate with this because yeah. we're not saying like, oh, all of our clients who have GAD are narcissists. Right. Just, there's a certain characteristic to many mental disorders that involves a uh, an orientation towards the self. And, a negative orientation towards the self. Right, sure, sure, sure. Where where it becomes trapped. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I remember in um, undergrad, uh, in my abnormal psychology class in undergrad, which is. That's the class that everybody walks out and assumes that they have like 15 different mental yeah. disorders, right? Uh -huh. I don't know. Yeah. Is that, yeah. The one that, that, that was so helpful there is that they, they defined, and I've never seen this anywhere else. I've, I've, I've looked. Mm. It's like one of those things that was so insightful, and then you look for it years later and you can't find oh, it, I hate right? That. <laughs> and it was the five D's of mental disorder, right? It has to be dysfunctional, it has to be dangerous, it has to be um, something that causes you know, uh, distress mm -hmm. and, and they go through all of these. And I think that's really important because wait, 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 what are the other two? Well, the reason why I was stopping there is because I couldn't remember the other two and I was <gasps> going to try and just segue, put, yeah. segue right over that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. But my point about this is that what damnation, it, damnation, eternal damnation. Yeah. Yeah. Damnation was one of them. And, and uh, 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 demonic, demonic possession. possession. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very Evagrian thing to say that, uh, with mental health. We're but, joking. That's not true. That's right. Um, but I think the important thing about this is that those, that, that, that concept, really that dysfunctional, is it causing dysfunction? Because in many ways, the biggest complaint I've heard about the mental health industry is that it's always looking for trying to find, to, to find issues to then have to fix in people. 
Mm. Right? And if it's not dysfunctional, mm. if it's just a temperamental thing, if you're just an odd duck, yeah. but you're not causing any issues and your life is fine. It's okay. You don't have a duck. mental disorder then. Here, here. You've told me this before, and it was so insightful. I've used this shamelessly with clients before. Good. It is not a mental disorder to have bad behavior. Ooh, you can't snap. diagnose everybody who is a who has bad behavior as a narcissist. Mm-mm. Well, it's a way of, of another way of evading uh, moral responsibility. But moreover, what I actually had in mind when you were saying this nice stuff about you know uh, you're just an odd duck is, is is like kind of like the neurodiversity movement. Yes. And, you know, I used to work um, primarily with children and adolescents with developmental and intellectual disabilities. So yes. autism, Down syndrome, Rett syndrome, Fragile X, and, and some of these rare disorders. And, and, um, and this big, interesting conversation that people are having about uh, these types, these types of conditions is like, to what degree is is there a deficit that the person with the condition needs to correct therapeutically? And to what degree is there a society that needs to loosen up? And so, for, for mm-hmm. instance, for years, behavior therapists have been investing time and money into teaching autistic children how to make eye contact. Right. Um, but, like, maybe they would be better served learning how to, like... Um, buy things on their own and like cook a meal and be independent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right. Like, in some cultures, that's a very American thing. No, eye contact. Yeah. Like in Japan or is it just is Japan? Yeah, yeah, sure. Japan, um, you show respect by not looking an authority figure in the eye. That's right. And like, or what, someone. what do yeah. you really lose? Like, can we all like just deal with the fact that someone on the spectrum won't make eye contact and will, will ask um, occasionally a socially inappropriate question? Like, can we deal with that? I think we should, especially as Christians. Right. That should be like the Christian process. Yeah. So there's something huh. really profound Imagine here that. about, about yeah. like, you know, these disorders, what we what we want to focus on, where we'd be most effective are the areas in our clients' lives that are impeding them, that are causing dysfunction in their ability to flourish. Yes. Not the things that make them quirky or odd right. or temperamentally different from us. And that's exactly it. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And by the by, we have plenty of work to still do. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh yeah. Even There's with no that. danger you know? of, 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 of us being out of work. Right, exactly. No. Um, the mental health industry does not go away because um, we stop worrying about um, worrying about odd behaviors. 100%. Yeah. So, the Saints were odd. Many so of them weird. Probably so weird. Therapy. Many, and, 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 and many of them needed therapy. And yes. I think that's really the key. And some of them recently did get they therapy. Did get there. By the by. So, Pope Francis saw a psychoanalyst for many years. You know sorry, who? Yes. Pope Francis. Pope Francis did. Saw mm-hmm. a psychoanalyst for many years. And he says it actually helped him a lot in his emotional life. I think, I think that's spot on. I guess it's a big thing in Argentina. Everyone has an analyst. Really? Yeah, that makes sense. There are a lot of... Like there are a lot of... Whatever. Argentinian. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, yeah. next one. Okay, but then, then the E... And F kind of go hand in hand. And these are the kind of ones that we've talked about this before. Like these are the to make sure that nothing else makes more sense kind of criteria. So these are the exclusions. The disturbance is not uh, attributed to a physiological effect, uh, effects of a substance. So it's like this is not because you're just really high for, you know. Yeah, right. Took a lot of cocaine and you got the jitters. Now. Right. Yeah. That's not that's not this. No, that's because you need to stop using cocaine. Right. Right. Or, or other things like other kind of medical conditions um, or, or other kind of medications you know sometimes right like that hypothyroid hypo i can't remember it's, it's either hyper or hypothyroid is a medication if it's not in the right balance mm. can lead to anxiety right so that's where that's really important is that something that might look like an anxiety disorder where it's actually also a um, where it's actually a medical, medical situation thing. and i think that's why it's really important i don't know what you guys do but i very often will have them do a blood test uh, have a blood yeah. test with their pcp yep yeah you know um, full blood work full blood work yeah and and the um, kind of uh, standard uh, pharmacological treatment for anxiety, it would be benzodiazepines. And benzos target GABA, which is a neurotransmitter. Yeah. And so there are some medical conditions that involve an imbalance or deficiency in, in GABA or GABA receptors. And so that would be a cause of anxiety. A cause of anxiety. Oh. Um, then the last thing would be 
uh, the disturb the disturbance is not better explained by a different mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. So like PTSD. OCD. PTSD. Yeah. Um, OCD. Okay. Use this. She gave me hers. Oh. Thank okay. you. In case you're wondering what that was about, um, we are having a... We're down-regulating our GABA. Our right? GABA. With, uh, <laughs> with uh, wild turkey, American honey. It's a um, bourbon whiskey. It's and this Chris's would not favorite. be... This would not be... Uh, a form of uh, lead, lead us to a generalized anxiety disorder diagnosis. Right. Uh, okay, perfect. So it's not associated with any other kind of mental disorder or any kind of other physiological symptoms. I'll tell you who never drinks on his podcast, and that's Mr. Color of Thought. He's yeah, an example to us he all. He is an example to us all. Okay. Uh, dear Daniel Johnson. <laughs> that's right. This is the th- the fourth time we've brought him up. We're going to keep doing we, it until he until he could, until, agrees to participate to do a to, joint to do podcast. a joint yeah a yeah. joint podcast. I Please think do I, it so they can be quiet. I think Thank I actually I think I owe him the email at this point. Okay, <gasps> so that's generalized anxiety disorder. Now let's talk really quick about treatment options for anxiety. Like what kind of things do do we do? Well, I think in mm. general one of the interesting things about anxiety is that it is a it is associated with uh, if it's like if it's that snake, if it's a snake phobia, then it's like long term. You're going to do a staged interventions till you put the snake until you are like holding the snake, right? If you're afraid of dogs, eventually you're going to be petting the dog. Like that's that's what you <gasps> maybe work we up should to. do that with Chris and Sydney. Mm, I'm perfectly content being a cat person. It has not caused me any dysfunction. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, darn it. We shouldn't. We'll, we'll re-edit this so we can give him a hard time. Speaking of re-editing, I meant to say in, increase, not downregulate GABA. It's more GABA that decreases anxiety because GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. Sorry, I just wanted to do that. I feel like there have been a few times where I've like said something wrong in these podcasts and it like causes me anxiety later right. that night. Right. So that this one I'll correct on the fly. Carry on. Perfect. So what are some of the treatments? Well, it's stuff like, you know, you're going to, if you have a particular phobia, then that treatment will typically result around that um, process of moving towards the uh, com- comfortability with the phobia. That's so It's cool. actually some of the best work to do because it's often short-term work. Right. Unlike the stuff we do with like our attachment disorder clients, it's like exposure therapy can sometimes take like two, three sessions. Right. And it's so fulfilling, right? Well, because it's like, like, wow, okay, cool. This kid's fixed, ready to go. Right, next. <laughs> yep, exactly. And I think that's 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 really important is because a lot of times there is that utter fear of, because it's anxiety, um, there's that utter fear and that thought that this is never going to get better. And very often, though, with that behavioral, the exposure ter- therapy, you also have to work through the cognitions as well. Totally. And I, I'm, I, you kind of talked around that, but the cognitive behavioral therapy is the the gold standard in, this, in anxiety mm-hmm. treatment. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, so, it's, yeah, do you want to talk about how cognitions play into anxiety? Well, a- absolutely. I mean, kind of relating it back. So, you always, you know, thoughts always lead to reactions. So, you got situation, automatic thought. We call them automatic because sometimes they're so fast you don't even notice them. Automatic thought then leads to a reaction. But where do those automatic thoughts come from? It's those beliefs that we have about ourselves, right? So, I am a terrible person. Yes, you are. Thank you. This is not an examination. This is not an examination. Demonstration of therapy. But I am a terrible person leads to those constant thoughts. You know, it's the laughing afterwards that is the particularly emotionally cutting thing. You know, it's one thing if I can just sweep right past these things. It's the it's the laughing afterwards. It brings me right back to my middle school years. We just really we're just so inspired by a by sort of a you know seeing a spiritual man and 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 you know a cleric in the church be so humble. Exactly. Wow. I have all sorts of thoughts on that, but we'll move past that before I get in trouble. <laughs> so as you were saying, you're a terrible person. I am a terrible person is the belief, and then it leads to those automatic thoughts. So this could be a consistent thing. I'm a terrible person because of um, X, Y, and Z. Now that would be a way in which the belief kind of develops. But another way could be cars are not safe. Oh. Or I am not safe in cars. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm never going to um, get in a car. Yeah. Uh, one, you know, another one I, I kind of recently... Um I'm always letting people down could lead to, oh, you know, I was five minutes late to this meeting. Uh, everyone's going to be disappointed in me. So mm-hmm. what's the point of even going at this point? Right, right. But it's like that there's like these fundamental beliefs that kind of um, dispose us to having other negative automatic thoughts. Right. And, and the thing about these automatic thoughts is that they're often what um, Beck called cognitive distortions. 
So they're mm -hmm. catastrophic, or they're black and white, or they're totalizing. Right. And there's 13 cognitive distortions, typical cognitive Typ distortions. Yeah, and almost list. all of them, yeah, almost all of them are, you're not seeing this sort of gray in this. It's this way or that way, and that's it. You're kind of, yeah, you're not, you're not seeing reality correctly. Which is, which is precisely why they're so effective for anxiety disorders, because the kind of, like, when you really walk your clients through a thought, anxiety thought process, they see the absurdity of their own thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. I think I, it's I, true. I, I, I forget if it was Ellis or Beck. I think it was Ellis because he was the more like snippy one. <laughs> he used to make his clients, as a music therapist, this appealed to me. He would write songs with his clients based on their like uh, ludicrous cognitive distortions. You know, <laughs> like, no one will love me unless I'm perfect. No one will love And it's like, when you see it, <laughs> presented to you that way you're like oh my goodness that really is ridiculous right no that's so cool that's so funny okay so so that's the cognitive behavioral approach i think there's also existential anxiety it's a really good point yeah yeah it doesn't like is it rollo may who has a whole book on anxiety and heck anxiety the concept practically comes from existential philosophy soren kierkegaard o almost entirely oh, i love kierkegaard yeah. he's my favorite heretic Heretic? Oh my goodness. He's a little bit of a heretic. Acquaint you with uh, Ralph McInerney's uh, dissertation thesis on, on Kierkegaard. I think he's in heaven. I just I don't think he got everything right. Well, I think he was trying that's so fair. hard. I mean, we give we give we give uh, Evagrius a lot of slack around here, so I suppose we could we could give Kierkegaard some slack as well. Yeah. I think probably Evagrius and Kierkegaard are on a pretty level footing. Uh, so yeah, there, there's anyway. an existential component. Yeah, there's. That it's that deep down, a lot of the anxiety that people have is an existential anxiety of the fact that we're all going to die. And what's the point of life? What's the point of life if we're all going to die? And I think this is particularly important. That coincidentally is what the church fathers saw, the, the, the Greek mm -hmm. church fathers saw as the cause for sin. I'm afraid that I'm going to die. Therefore, I'm going to medicate myself away from that realization, that constant sort of drumbeat that's in the back of my head that we all have, by the way. But this, you know, I'm going to medicate away by gluttony or lust or, you know, you pick your favorite sin that distracts me from the fact that uh, that fear of death. I'm reminded of the the old, uh, the older translation, English translation of the Novus Ordo Mass during the Eucharistic prayers. And was it protect us from all anxiety? Mm. Yes. Free from sin yeah. and protect us from anxiety. Now it's distress, I believe. You know, I'm a Maronite, so I don't know what these words yeah, do. Right, but right. but like, but that's a you know that but that's but like how fitting to have that during the Eucharistic prayers where we have the ultimate sort of medicine. You know, right, right. It's Medi absolutely existential true. existential medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And I think that's really. You know, an important kind of characteristic. Now, existential therapy can be really, really effective at that. Yeah, area. say a little bit about that for our listeners that are like existential therapy. Say what? Say what? No, I. I mean, <laughs> existential therapy really is psychology, the existential philosophy in action. Now, existential philosophy does not necessarily mean that it's going to be, um, you know, Frederick Nietzsche or um, any Please other kind of Jean-Paul Sartre. Actually, I mean, Nietzsche has some interesting, no, read, interesting don't. things. Nietzsche, you got to read Nietzsche. Don't do it. Um, he's a little, yeah. Quick, quick, quick side note, because I posted something on Facebook about this, and I can't not brag about this insight that uh, my favorite Catholic philosopher, Charles de Conic, had. He loved Nietzsche. He taught a course on Nietzsche. And uh, he thought sort of Nietzsche does, doesn't go far enough in his concept of the Ubermensch. And um, for, for Charles de Conic, the, the real Ubermensch, the real, like, perfected magnanimous human uh, was the blessed mother that just like completely turns Nietzsche on its head Overmensch is Mary well yes. yeah I, I think he's he's radically misunderstood by high school students who um, yeah. you know, high school kids who think Absolute they understand yeah yeah, yeah yeah God is dead it's like, uh, but we have we killed, killed him, him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and so we'll never wash the blood from our from hands, our hands. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a very uh, anxiety inducing thing to exactly say. exactly and I think that's really kind of the key about this is that 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 existential anxiety gets to that anxiety like gets to the fact that it's there it is there and what are you going to do about it as opposed to just i'm going to sit there and i think there's this great there's this great book it's it's like I think it's like no excuse existentialism. It's like mm. now I'm not going to use sort of the old cliches to be able to, to to control my life. I have to make that choice myself. And what that means in practical terms is I have to choose to be a Christian. 
I can't just let it just fly by. Well, uh, but but I was raised a Christian, so that means I doesn't ha- I don't have to try or it's not like, a really do position. anything. It's not a default. Yeah. No, it's not. Actually, that reminds me of this concept in science um, of entropy, mm. where if something is not in motion, if something is not growing, it is dying. Mm-hmm. So your muscles entropy if you don't use them anymore. Atrophy. Atrophy. Yeah, but it's the same Wait, idea. Entropy. Am I talking about no, the No, you are. Your mus- I mean, you would maybe say your muscles atrophy yes. because of entropy because things yes. uh, things tend towards that state, right, of disorganization. Mm-hmm. So in the creation narrative, um, mm-hmm. in the beginning, that concept of nothingness is, is nothingness. There's absolutely nothing. So God speaking a word is action. Mm-hmm. And when you... Action has to be maintained. So yeah. God is always holding creation within existence. And if he stopped, we would just cease to be again. Right. And it's that concept of I am either doing something and alive or I am doing nothing and I am dead. Right. Yeah. And that's that reminds me of kind of the Evagri, some of the Evagrian remedies, which are just simply like injunctions to just act. Go do something. Right, right. For Acadia, it's just go persevere, yeah. right? Which is the last thing I want to do when I'm in Acadia, right? Which we've or just, all had probably this week since it's the start of Lent. Right. Or go and fast, right. you know, if you're gluttonous. Or go and give your money away if you're avarice, you know, in almsgiving. So, since we're talking about treatments, can we talk about some of the uh, spiritual treatments for anxiety? Well, I think, or do we want to fix I, I, I think that's really important, though, because... Mm-hmm. In order to talk about the treatment spiritually, you also have to talk about the differentiation between sort of a psychological anxiety and a spiritual anxiety. Right. So what does the Bible mean when it says, be anxious about nothing, trust God in all things? Right. Well, or, it's a nice ideal to shoot for. <laughs> or, or like, I am perfectly at peace because the Lord will provide everything for right. me and I have to do nothing. Right. And and the struggle about this is then, you know, and, and you hear these, these kind of, talks by uh, by John Paul II, his famous phrase, be not afraid. Mm. And that's really a beautiful thing. But at the same time, what if you're in a situation where you really should be afraid? Is that just sticking your fingers in your ears and, you know, la 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 la, la. la. Yeah, exactly. And I think hmm. this is really important because I think, I don't think John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, say Pope John Paul II, was just saying everything will be okay. Right. I think he was saying, in a way, existentially, God will give the meaning that will get through everything. Yes. And I think this uh, loops back to what we were saying at the beginning about scrupulosity yeah. a little bit. Say more. Yeah, say more. <laughs> you look like you're going to say something. No, say more. <laughs> um, scrupulosity would be the, the just intense anxiety about sin and death and damnation um like we mentioned but be not afraid that that famous phrase tells us to not be afraid of god to not fear him as the enemy yeah Um, fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom we know that but that fear of the lord is is meant in a particular way not as like the fear of a tyrant or like an abusive father or something right and i think um especially in our day and age where we have a societal lack of good father figures, Mm. Um, like epidemically, we have a cultural misunderstanding of what and who God the Father is. So we are afraid of him. We do think he is the tyrant, the abusive father, the bully in the schoolyard. Like that is something I hear a lot of. It's like, how can you... Believe disapproving in father, right? Which actually Catholicism is, is such a is such a, a um, an in for those people because another uh, sort of indirect route to God the Father is through Mary, and so perhaps if your if your template for experiences with with mothers is is more healthy than your dad experience, then you can kind of go through Mary, right? And she can introduce you to who he really is. It's better than going through some like politician who's a surrogate father figure. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Of whatever disposition. Of whatever I disposition that may be. Okay. And I think, so what, you, you've got the scriptures open, Chris. What are you, 
<laughs> what are you? I what want to talk about. Um, uh, I want to connect this to our mindfulness episode. I want to like further uh, dispossess our listeners of this idea that being present is um, in any way contrary to the Catholic faith by reading a passage about two biblical women, uh, one of whom was able to um, be present to the Lord in a way that allowed her to exit from the prison of the self, and another woman who was trapped by her own anxieties in the prison of the self. This comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 38, uh, which reads as follows. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a village, he being Jesus, and a woman named Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. Mm, snaps, kids. That's really good. So it's more about a relationship. Yes. Yeah, and, and a receptivity, right? To, to recognize the good things in front of you. Like, you know, the incarnate God coming into your house. <laughs> or whatever it might be that's in front of you, right? Because these anxieties wrap you up in concerns about the past and the future, the what ifs and the what could what could have been's and like the way out of that anxiety is to really enter for, at least from my perspective is partly you know the way out is to enter into the present moment and be fully alive in mm-hmm. that moment yes i agree i like that a lot i like so that I, connection i think just looking at the time here i think the big takeaway that I would hope people would get with this is that anxiety is a normal kind of thing. It has a psychological and a spiritual component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are treatments associated with it that are very, very effective. Sometimes they're very quickly. Sometimes they take a little bit more with an existential kind of characteristic to it, but they are very, very effective. And if you're struggling with anxiety, Catholic counseling might be a really great option for you. And maybe hit up a psychiatrist if you need benzos or beta blockers. Yeah. Those work too. They work and that's they okay. work really, really well. Sometimes, and that's okay. Sometimes it's the matter part of your being that's a little off, not the spirit part. I mean, and, I've got I've got a friend that yeah. I deeply respect who would not be able to leave the house without clonopin. So yeah. sometimes you need that. And that's that's okay. And that's okay. Because it's the way people are. You're a soul and a body together. Absolutely. All right. So why don't we leave it there, but we will catch you next time on the Catholic Psyche Podcast. Bye. Bye.